And our second reading is from Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali. But in the future he will honour Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdened them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that day on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Hey, if I haven't met you, my name's Pete Stacey, and it is great to be here. Uh, one of the highlights of my week through the cooler months of uh, the, the year is watching the dawn of a new day over the surf every Wednesday morning on our men's prayer walk. Now, here's some photos just to get you there uh, from earlier this year. Look at that, spectacular. It just makes you want to join a men's prayer walk, doesn't it? <laughs> in the middle of winter, we start and finish, and it's still dark the whole way. But as the days start to get longer, uh, we see the light appear on that horizon, that thin, pale blue, and then it grows, and the, the darkness is steadily pushed back uh, until the pink and orange and red and yellow colours of dawn welcome a new day. And then finally, the sun appears and fingers of light stretch out to warm the land and bring this whole palette of colour to life. Are you with me? You've all been there, haven't you? You know, picture that moment somewhere in this amazing creation of the Lord. One of those spectacular morning experiences. When you see those first colours, you know that dawn is, is well underway. And when they get really bright, you know the sun is nearly there. That was in June this year. And if there's a few clouds around and some interesting scenery, the view really is spectacular. It's breathtaking. Now, our theme this Christmas is light comes in. But as the uh, image suggests, the light we're exploring is not the light from the S-U-N, but from Jesus Christ, the S-O-N, the Son of God. Now, if you imagine the sunrise being like Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, then the dawn, everything that happens before the sunrise, is what we find in the Old Testament. All the stories and prophecies and promises of God that pointed forward, telling us He is coming, telling us to get ready. And that's what we're looking at this morning. In fact, this whole dawn metaphor is straight out of the passage that was read for us. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. 
on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So today we're exploring some of the wonderful colours, if you like, the colours of dawn in the Old Testament that point us forward to Jesus. And then next week in all of our services, uh, so around Christmas, we'll focus on the appearing of the S-O-N, baby Jesus, whom we celebrate at Christmas, of course. Let's just pause and ask God to help us as we do that. Dear Father, please renew our minds, shape our hearts and transform our lives through your word here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the prophet Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus and he had lots to say about the Messiah, this promised rescuer, this deliverer that God would send to his people. In fact, Isaiah is quoted in the New Testament more times, more than twice as much as any other Old Testament prophet. Uh, in fact, some of the early church leaders in you know, the 2nd and 3rd century, they kind of affectionately referred to Isaiah as the fifth gospel of the Bible uh, because he pointed so clearly to Jesus. Now, before we look at the great light that's referred to in this passage, I think it will be helpful to, to go back and try and grasp the significance of this theme of light through the scriptures, uh, particularly in its connection to God and this Messiah figure that he promised to send. And it all starts very early, in fact, the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, second verse. Look at this. The earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from darkness. You know, darkness can be intimidating, overwhelming. Many years ago, I stayed overnight with some friends in Cuba, Petey, in a dugout home 15 metres below the surface. Now, it was comfortable temperature, like all year round, apparently. Um, but when you turn the lights out, like, it was just pitch black. You hold your hand in front of your face, you just cannot see a thing. Um, let alone try to navigate your way to the toilet in the night, <laughs> uh, or in the day for that matter. Um, when you're in deep darkness, light is just so, so good. In the beginning, what we see here, the very first creative act of God was to dispel darkness with light. And as God's people look back at creation, the connection between God and light Began, And what we'll see is that that connection grows and forms in a few different ways. There's a literal connection where God's very presence brings physical light, sometimes blinding light. And if we carry that forward, picture the transfiguration. Jesus appearing to three of his disciples. Picture Paul on the Damascus Road, blinded by Jesus. But there's also this kind of metaphorical connection. You know, God is a moral light. His holiness gives shape to our lives. And then thirdly, I mean, particularly in the Psalms, as David reflects on his relationship with the living God, God lights the soul of those who trust in him. Well, let's quickly track through the Old Testament. We're just going to pick a few key moments I've uh, got to miss heaps of things, but here, here's a few things. Not long after creation, of course, sin enters the world and moral darkness immediately invades the human heart. 
But even in the words of judgment, God gives a ray of hope. Speaking to the snake, which is the devil, God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So, so somewhere down the track, a, a son of Eve is going to crush the deserve, de- deceiving devil. You know, imagine the excitement when, when she's pregnant and Cain, a son, is born. And then Abel, not long after that. Will one of these boys be the serpent crusher? How their hopes must have been dashed when Cain killed Abel and was sent away. And humanity, following this time, is, is plunging in an ever-widening avalanche of sin and moral darkness. God's rescue plan is obviously going to take more than just one generation. Jump forward hundreds of years, and the world is in utter chaos at the time of the Tower of Babel. But into that darkness and confusion, God shines another ray of hope by choosing one man, Abraham, and making some grand promises to him. Listen to this. Go from your country... And your people in your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God literally took him out of his people group to begin a new nation in a new land with a new relationship with the living God. A relationship of blessing. And note that last bit shines pretty bright, doesn't it? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Literally through your family line. So so there's this serpent-crushing son of Eve that we're looking for. And now that's narrowed down to a descendant of Abraham. Jumped forward nearly 500 years and God's people are descendants of Abraham. Lots of them by now. And they're being horribly treated as slaves in Egypt. And God comes to rescue them through a guy called Moses. And God sends ten horrible plagues against the Egyptians to force them to let his people go. One of these plagues is a plague of complete darkness. I picture myself back down the hole in a cubipede. A complete darkness. But it's interesting because God makes a distinction. It says in Exodus, No one could see anyone else or move about for three days, yet... All the Israelites had light in the places where they lived. And so there's this developing idea that that light goes with God's blessing and darkness is a sign of his judgment. Because there's that famous priestly blessing in Numbers 6. It includes these words, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. Again, it's that that idea that the light of God brings blessing. Something we should all really, really desire, eagerly desire for our lives. And part of that blessing is guidance. So as God led his people out of uh, slavery in Egypt, we, we read this. By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. God's presence gave them physical light to guide them and encourage them. And then after saving them, God gathered them at Mount Sinai and through Moses gave them the light of his word in the form of the Ten Commandments. Looking back, the psalmist said this, Your word is a lamp for my feet 
and a light for my path. Now, after such an extraordinary rescue, we could be forgiven for thinking that Moses was perhaps this, this chosen rescuer, this Messiah figure. But God said to Moses, I will raise up for my people a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I'll put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. The true Messiah would be God's very mouthpiece to his people. So remember what Jesus said when he came? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Amazing, isn't it? Now jump another 500 years after Moses. We're really like doing the kangaroo trip through the Old Testament here, aren't we? 500 years after Moses, and Israel is in the Promised Land. They have a king called David who, you know, despite some infamous failures, uh, loves God with all his heart. And two things happen. Firstly, God promises David that a descendant of his will rule forever. Think like, okay, is this just like, you know, broad language or is a... Uh, is this literal? Uh, and secondly, inspired by God's Spirit, David himself pens lots of wonderful songs, you know, psalms, that teach great truths about God. Listen to some of the things that David said reflecting on God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. You, Lord, are my lamp. The Lord turns my darkness into light. David saw that the light of God brings salvation, brings blessing, brings guidance. What a sweet hope to people whose lives were so darkened by sin and their relationships so damaged by sin. People like the Israelites in Isaiah's day. People like us too. So as we now briefly look at uh, the message Isaiah gave here in chapter 9, let's recognise that it's also for our comfort and our hope today. Especially since we know how God has fulfilled these words in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas. And the time of Isaiah, God's people were in exile because of their sinful rebellion. It was indeed a time of deep darkness, as verse 2 says. But they also had powerful enemies in the nations surrounding them. They desperately needed God's salvation and blessing and guidance. And into this dark situation, Isaiah speaks words of hope. And comfort. Verse 1. There will be no more gloom. Do you know sometimes wake up, it just seems so gloomy. I mean, this was their whole experience. No more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honour Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, they were the entry point for this terrifying Assyrian invasion. But somehow... Galilee is going to be the focal point of God's rescue plan of all places. Friends, where did Jesus grow up? Matthew quotes this very verse in Matthew chapter 4 to show that it's been fulfilled in Jesus. 
Isaiah goes on to say, and I quote this verse at the start, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. Again, jump forward to the New Testament, and the Apostle John picks up this idea as he introduces Jesus to us. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Then in verse 3, Isaiah says that this great light will bring abundant joy to all people. And he kind of illustrates with this joy-filled harvest going on. Now, in the breezeway, of course, there's an abundant harvest of backyard produce. I mean, like, if you want some spinach, I mean, I I could talk about spinach all day. (laughs) Uh, There's plenty out there. Um, And if you want some, just grab it. We don't want any left at the end of the day. Uh, But imagine, like, blow that out to a national scale. Just this picture of abundance. That's a picture of great joy and sense of God's blessing. That's the picture Isaiah uses here. And this coming light, whatever it is, we're not sure yet, uh, it's going to bring freedom from oppression and defeat. And so in verse 4, Isaiah looks back to a miraculous victory in Israel's history. When a bloke called Gideon defeated the Midianites. Complete miracle, that one. Now, what does that do for the person hearing Isaiah's message? They would have been very familiar with that story from their own history. As we look back, and we see God's faithfulness time and time again in the past, it helps us believe that he actually cares about our present. It helps us believe that uh, what he's promised for the future will come to pass. Friends, I think it's worth taking time to look back even in just our own lives and recognise the gracious hand of God at work time and time again. And be thankful. As we approach the end of another year, I think it's a great time to do this. And this victory that comes with this great light that is mentioned in verse 2 is so decisive and so lasting that verse 5 says, even the very garments of war, they'll be destined for burning. They'll just be fuel for the fire. They'll be no longer needed. You know, and there's kind of victory like this. You you might be expecting uh, a description of some mighty warrior to come next. You know, some Messiah figure, figure riding triumphantly on a white horse with dazzling sword raised in the air, something like that. But what does Isaiah say, verse 6? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. The day of hope and joy and salvation will begin with a little baby. To those who knew the history in the Old Testament, this would have actually been really exciting. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 8, and chapter 9, uh, we get this prophecy about a child being born who will bring about this momentous change in the fortunes of God's people. And it's all pointing us forward, of course, to baby Jesus. Matthew's Gospel quotes the more familiar verse back in Isaiah chapter 7. Uh, The Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This thread of light that's been tracking through the Old Testament suddenly has got very bright in the words of Isaiah. And he was 700 years before Jesus. 
We have in times look at Jeremiah and Micah and Hosea and others who pointed so clearly forward to Jesus. But we do need to do this. Before we finish, there's another surprise uh, in what Isaiah says, and there's a challenge. The surprise is this. The way this great light, this, this Messiah figure, will rescue people is not through a show of mighty domination over people, but through personal suffering for people. Isaiah later describes him this way. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was laid on him. And friends, that's Jesus on the cross. That's one of the reasons many people in Jesus' day failed to recognise him. It was so unexpected. And it was exactly what they and we needed most. Someone to pay the price for our sin. And then comes the challenge. The light and hope that this baby brings is not because he's little and cute, but because of his death and his resurrection, he rules Look at the way he's described in our passage here. Verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will direct the affairs of the people of the world. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He rules forever. And look at those incredible descriptive titles. He rules with great counsel and wisdom, with divine power, with never-ending fatherly love and permanent peace. Is that the kind of ruler we want? I think so. It's a wonderful ruler. This is a, a ruler worthy of all our allegiance. This is none other than Jesus. He can be trusted to rule our lives with love and wisdom. Friends, does he rule your heart? The hope and peace and light and life he offers is only ours when we surrender our lives to him. Submitting to his wonderful rule. Because without him, our lives now and for eternity will remain in darkness. Jesus himself said so. And I'll close with these words. I am the light of the world, Jesus said. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Let's just pray. Dear Father, just as the, uh, as the S-U-N gives physical light to each day, I pray that the S-O-N, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, will light our hearts, bringing salvation by his blood shed on the cross for our sins and giving us eternal hope for his resurrection to new life which he gives to all who trust in him. 
Father, may that hope and light be ours today and always. In Jesus' name, amen.